Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gonna break Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One My name is Mark Hamilton Joining me here live today It is Sunday February 26, 2023, we are less than a week away from the first Grand Prix of the 2023 Formula One Championship. Sitting with me, Mr. Mark Daly, my co-host, co-producer, neighbor, frenemy, colleague, and also, for the first time since November, Mr. Tim Haraney, their TSN racing analyst covering all of the major racing disciplines up in this country. My friends, how's it going? Daly, I'll kick it over to you first. Yeah, I'm I'm good, buddy. I'm pumped to get this uh, season uh, started. Been sitting down trying to work through the the latest drop of uh, Netflix's uh, Drive to Survive, which has become like appointment viewing now each and every year, just to get jacked up and ready for the for the new Formula season, Formula One season. Pardon me, but ready to go. Excited to get this thing going, and 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 really happy to sit down and do this again with uh, you and Tim. Seems like a Tim. while since we've done it. I know that you and and Daily were tweeting back, tweeting back, texting back and forth over the course of the weekend about this series. And of course, with our good friend Josh Cooper from The Athletic. But we were talking about the season. I haven't had the opportunity to watch much of it yet. What are your initial impressions on Drive to Survive this season? Okay, so I've got, how many episodes do I have? Like, I think I only have two episodes remaining. And for those who haven't watched it yet, I won't give any spoilers but it's it's probably one of the best seasons i've ever watched simply wow. because they wow. actually stick to the storylines and then they go in and then they flush out those storylines where i feel in past seasons they made some stuff up and so you know but this one it's a little bit it's a little bit different it's better that way actually in in my opinion it might not always be edge of your seat sort of viewing but they you actually get a good inside look at how the oscar piastri situation uh unfolded and the fernando alonso to aston martin uh situation how that unfolded so it was good i i like it so far like i said i have two episodes uh remaining and i don't want to ruin anything for anyone so yeah, other than that, it, it's good. But I'm doing well. Thank you very much, everybody, for asking. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I've been learning uh, French in the off season, so that's been, wow. That's Ooh been la fun. La. Ooh yes, la la, Tim. Yeah, so it's been well uh, It's been going pretty good. Trying to learn a second language hasn't been the the easiest, but it's a good challenge. And um, yeah, I've been swimming a lot, training for triathlon that hopefully I can do in uh, in the summertime that I've been training for. So yeah, trying to get back into shape, lose some LBs. Things are good. My friend, I saw your update <laughs> yesterday, your swimming update. You like burned 1,400 calories. Like, dude, I don't burn 1,400 calories in a week and you do it in a one swim session. Well done. Yeah, well swam, done. swam 5K, uh, you know, the other day. So <laughs> right on. Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> 
So let's uh, <laughs> let on 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 kind of that note, let's kick this bad boy off. So we're here today to sit down and talk about our predictions for the 2023 Formula One season. And I think there's a couple of things that we want to do. We want to be able to sit down and go through each of the teams and discuss uh, from each of our individual perspectives what they've done well, what they might struggle with. Talk about our predictions for the constructors championship, and also talk about our predictions for the drivers championship. But we'll save that for the end because we want to make sure that you all stay on and uh, listen to all of those advertisements. Advertisements that are so important to, to this show. But before we get started, I, I want to give a shout out to a friend of the show named Eric. Uh, Eric lives in Buffalo, New York, right near the Canadian border. And he had compiled a really great list of all of the changes that we can expect to see going into the 2023 Formula One season. So before we jump into the teams and the drivers and some of the things that we expect to see on the track, he had done a really great job of compiling all of the things that you need to know before we get into the season. And in the spirit of putting together a really comprehensive show, I thought we would quickly run through these points. We don't need to discuss them. We need to debate them. But I think as an update to our listeners, it's pretty cool. So the thought was, Tim, that we would each take a section. So I'll run through the updates under the general section. Daily, we'll go through the updates on supporting regulations. You can provide the updates on the floor and so on and so forth. So generally speaking, here are some of the big updates that you need to know for Formula One going into the 2023 season. The first is that the much vaunted, maybe, I don't know, heavily criticized, controversial, but the cost cap is being reduced from $140 million to $135 million. That was always planned. The Chinese Grand Prix has been canceled and officially will not be replaced. We are now officially locked into a 23 race calendar. The entry fee for each team in the 2023 Formula One season is $617,687. The minimum car weight has been lowered to 796 kilograms, though teams are expecting an official increase to 798 kilogram like last year. And remember, every kilogram matters to these teams. A seventh camera has been added to the car with a mandatory visor cam for each driver. All equipment used to cool the car on the grid using forced airflow must now be powered only by electricity. And of course, this is a big part of Formula One's green initiative. The curfew prior to FP3 this year will be 14 hours prior to the event instead of 13. Four curfew exceptions are allowed for Wednesday, down from eight, and three curfew expectations will be allowed for Thursday, down from six. And then finally, teams will be allowed further wet weather arrow testing at their factories outside of the cost cap. Real testing of these results will be allowed beginning in Q2 of the 2023 season. So daily, I'll kick it over to you if you want to take us through some of the sporting regulation updates for sure, 2023. Sure, sure. All right. So uh, one of the big things on the sporting reg side, or side this year is that uh, sprint races are going up from uh, three to six uh, compared to, to last season. So we're going to see sprint races at uh, Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, Coda, the U.S. Grand Prix and Brazil. So that's rounds 5, 11, 14, 19, 20 and 22. So the sprint races very much backloaded to the the second half of the season. So each team will be allowed to duct uh, $400,000 increased to from 150,000 in 2022 from their cost for each of the sprint uh, ra uh, 
pardon me, sprint race weekends. The $100,000 flat fee for damages has been removed. So Park for May rules will be changed during sprint weekends with more allowance to change parts that could be damaged. Uh, a review qualifying format will be or will take place at a yet to be determined event or events where drivers will use hard tires during Q1, mediums during two, Q2 and soft tires during Q3. This is a story I think that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Hammy. Uh, during the this uh, RQF or revised, qualif- or revised qualifying format weekend, teams will be given three sets of hards, which is normally two, four sets of mediums, which is normally three, and four sets of soft tires, which is normally seventh, in an attempt to bring fewer tires to a race weekend. And also during an RQF weekend, teams will be allowed free choice of tire if a qualifying session is declared to be wet by the race director. So the FIA is also going to trial allowing DRS uh, activation after only one lap on the start or a restart of a lap or a race instead of two laps at the uh, the six sprint races in 2023. And uh, this is a proposal to maybe bring this on board full time starting next year in 2024. And there's going to be uh, DRS changes coming to uh, Bahrain, Jeddah, Melbourne, Baku and Miami. And the rules surrounding radio messages during formation laps will be relaxed. So there's also some of the confusion surrounding grid penalties uh, will hopefully be cleared up, which I know the three of us talked about quite a bit last year. Uh, So this is uh, attempted to have been tidied up with the the rewritten rules. It's a quote, classified drivers who have accrued more than 15 cumulative grid position penalties or who have been penalized to start at the back of the grid will start behind, behind any other classified driver. Their relative position will be determined in accordance with their qualifying classification, end quote. And then finally, the F1 Commission has updated the wording of the regulations to prevent full points during a shortened race. I guess that's more fallout from uh, uh, Belgium in 2021, among uh, among others. Anyways, that's it for um, basically a, a roundup of what happened on the, uh, the the sporty reg side. So, Tim, over to you for what we can see with the updates to changes to the floor in 2023. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like the outer edge of the floor has been raised by about 15 uh, millimeters to help fight you know, fight off porpoising, even though I think the cars still uh, will have a tiny bit of that. I think this will basically push the teams away from it being a massive problem. The diffuser throat where, which is the narrowest part of the floor, you know, it's just behind where the driver sits will be raised and stiffened floor body work. Um, Flexibility may not deflect more than five millimeters. uh, And then no more than five millimeters vertically under 250 n so that i guess would be what newton meters i'm assuming yeah. yep um the holes in the plank yeah so to be to measure conformity reduced from six to four the middle two holes they won't be needed and have been made re- pretty much redundant but uh the, the chassis stuff's interesting though guys i mean roll hoop being strengthened uh, in order to resist about 15 G vertical impacts. Wow. Incredible. And yeah, be made of, you know, abrasion resistant material. Rear view mirrors are going to be uh, considerably larger, which we've already seen them uh, in testing. It's an increase from 150 millimeters to 200 in size. It actually is quite a big difference once you actually take a look at them. Uh, an FIA approved accelerometer is to be fitted in the cockpit under the seat and connected to the FIA ECU system for improved data collection, uh, especially during crashes. 
Just just a quick question, guys, uh, just uh, about the, the, the role Hoopa being uh, strengthened. Does that have anything to do with Joe's crash at Silverstone last year? Because, I mean, I'm going to give away a spoiler alert for, for Drive to Survive Season 5, because, I mean, that was a huge moment uh, during the season because it was very, very scary. And when you see that in super slow-mo in the 4K and everything like that, I mean, it is, guys, that, that just blew me away. And when you see the car go through the gravel and then flip over the tire barriers and you can hear that sort of ching as it hits the chain link and then it drops between the fence and the tires holy smokes like i relived that whole moment again and like my my heart dropped even though that was what eight months ago nine months ago it was it was a while ago that was a scary moment but i i, I didn't follow up and i just assumed that this is in response to that that scary crash yeah absolutely it is i mean the way that alfa romeo had designed that roll hoop it was different from a lot of what some of the other teams were doing. The problem is it failed as soon as it went up on its, let's call it roof, uh, so to speak. And it sheared itself right off in an instant. And those roll hoops, if you're new to formula one or you've watched for quite a while, roll hoops aren't designed to fail. They have to survive a lot of impact uh i raced with roll hoops for the longest time and never have i ever seen a roll hoop get sheared off like i did with uh joe guan yu's uh incident um so yes that's why the uh roll hoop has been strengthened um in the amount that it has which is quite a bit so Mm -hmm. and that's where some of the added you know weight has kind of come into with these cars Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. And why some of the teams are really currently still struggling trying to get down the weight limit. Hmm. All right, Hammy, do you want to take it over? Front wing. Nope. Yeah. So let me let me take front wing, rear wing, and wheels, and then daily. Maybe I'll kick it over to you to power unit, and then Tim can give us an update on aerodynamic testing. So front wing restrictions to designs at the juncture of the wing and the end plate have been updated. Wing flap adjustability has been increased from 35 to 40 mil, which is pretty significant. The fillet radius increased from two to four millimeters where brackets are joined between the wing elements. And those are, of course, the slats that run horizontally up the the wing itself from the ground towards the cockpit of the car. More than one gurney flap is allowed as long as they exist within the prescribed front wing profile. And from a rear wing perspective, rear wing tethers to be mounted 60 millimeters higher for improved safety. This was something that the FIA talked about a little bit last year and the fillet radius increased from two to four millimeters where brackets are joined between the wing elements so daily i'll kick it over to you to give us an update on wheels Okay, so wheels, so the debris fence uh, permitted on rear brake ducts. If the technical director is satisfied with the change in climatic uh, conditions, teams are allowed to alter wheel scoops and uh, cooling ducts, pardon me. Tire blanket temperatures were set to be uh, reduced from uh, 70 degrees Celsius to 50 degrees Celsius for the standard three hours. But this was uh, extremely unpopular during uh, uh, testing. So Pirelli has submitted a proposal to use the uh, blankets at 70 degrees Celsius for two hours during the 2023 season. So Pirelli is introducing a sixth tire compound, the C compound or sorry, C1 compound will be grippier harder uh, harder compound tire while the old C1 hard compound will be called C0 in the future. It's kind of like a little bit like a bit of a throwback like we had like a couple of years ago where we had like super softs and uh, ultra mega super softs. Soft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. got kind of yeah. confusing, you know. Anyways, I kind of like how they've just kind of you know have like these subcategories, you know, you have hard <laughs> mediums and softs 
Yeah. And then they, you kind of go by the hardness of the, the, that rage. It's a little bit easier to follow. Uh, so Pirelli is also bringing a newly formulated rubber out for the more front end gripped and reduced the amount of understeer, which many of the drivers are complaining about last year in 2022. And they're going to introduce a new wet weather tire for the Emila Grand Prix, uh, which is designed to help with spray and will not need tire blankets, which Ooh, is kind of uh, crazy. We'll see how that uh, how that plays out. So moving over to uh, the power units. So gearbox ratios cannot be changed during the season. So previously, teams were allowed one ratio change during the 2022 season. Mounting studs between the power unit and chassis, in addition to the power unit and transmission, will now require tensile strength greater than 100 kilonewtons. If the TD is satisfied with the change in climatic conditions, teams are allowed to alter setting of bypass valves and flow restrictors associated with power unit cooling. So the minimum weight of the power unit is increased from 150 to 151 kilograms. That's crazy. Like like a power unit, 100, that's like 300 mm-hmm. pounds. That seems like nothing for a formula. Like, like, anyways, that's another discussion. Um, fuel of the car may not be lower than 10 degrees, previously 20 degrees centigrade below the ambient temperature when the car is running and leaves the garage. Fuel density samples must be within 0.15%, previously 0.25% of the figure noted in the pre-approval process. All fuel tanks will be required to have a pressure relief valve to prevent overpressurization. That's a big word for a guy like me. And (laughs) I'm just being honest, guys. Uh, Maximum internal pressure inside the fuel uh, bladder may not exceed one bar. And wastegate tailpipes required to have an internal cross-section less than 1,500 millimeters squared with minimal aerodynamic effect. So, Tim, over to you with the aerodynamic testing because there's there's some interesting things going on here because some of the shenanigans that Red Bull found themselves uh, involved with last year plus the the, the reduction they were going to see anyways because of being the champions but this is a it's it's pretty pretty you lay it out but the, so, the numbers are shocking when you see them right yeah so for for those listening you know what's been new in these regulations that came out uh last season was how cfd and wind tunnel time gets allotted to teams where in the past teams could run uh CFD wind tunnel 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, that allowed teams that had more money, bigger infrastructure, uh, bigger workforce to, you know, put in more hours. Uh, they could, you know, put more money towards these things and they could churn out parts faster. And so that's why you really saw maybe, you know, two teams uh, ahead of everybody else. And by ahead, I mean way ahead. And then you have these regulations that have come in. So now a team wins the championship. They're only allotted a set amount of time or percentage uh, within the wind tunnel and CFD design, and they can't go over that. And there is a reset about, I think it's around halfway through the season. There's a bit of a, a reset with that. But since Red Bull won the championship, they were deemed to get 70% of CFD and wind tunnel uh, testing time. Compare that with what Williams um, gets, which is 115%. So basically that's close to, you know, running 24 hours a day, sort of seven days a week, uh, if they can afford to do it. And what that does for a team like Williams, since they finished dead last, it allows them to close that gap between last place and first place. 
And granted, that actually takes a while, you know, even though they have all of this, it would take some time for Williams to get caught up with what Red Bull has done, considering where Williams has started. And I'm just using Williams because they finished dead last in the championship last year. Um, So for Red Bull, they breached the cost cap in 2021 and basically they were slapped with what was called sporting penalty. And that sporting penalty was a 7% reduction um, in wind tunnel and CFD time. So Red Bull for this season is only going to get 63% of their allotted aerodynamic testing time. And that's something I'm sure we're going to get into in this podcast in a little bit. Ferrari has 75% Mercedes, 80% McLaren, sorry, Alpine, 85%, McLaren, 90%, Alfa Romeo, 95%, Aston Martin, 100 Haas, 105 Alpha Tauri, 110 and Williams, 115 And yeah, we can get into later, guys, about how mm. this is going to affect Red Bull. And But I just needed to make sure people kind of you know, understood as best they could because it's a complicated rule. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think that's a fantastic context, and you're right. We'll probably get into that when we start talking about the teams and the constructors. A couple of other updates, and once again, thank you so much to Eric from Buffalo for helping put together this outline, which he had shared on Reddit because it really helped influence and shape our conversation today. But just a couple of other quick updates uh, as it pertains or as it pertains to the 2023 calendar. Qatar is back. Of course, they were on the calendar 2021 in that COVID-impacted season. They subsequently signed a 10-year agreement to race. Originally, the plan was to have a dedicated new circuit downtown in Doha on the Corniche. That's not ready yet, so they're continuing to invest in Lucille. Uh, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix will again happen at Jeddah. Originally, the plan was that they were going to build, and it is under construction, a new purpose-built track in Kadia, a couple of hours outside of Jeddah. Las Vegas is going to make its long-anticipated debut. Of course, it's going to be the first time since they were on the calendar in 82, and that race will be a Saturday night race in November. Uh, The Russian Grand Prix was under contract to feature on the 23 calendar, but of course, due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that has been scrapped permanently, and I don't see any future in which that was to take place. Again, of course, the plan was that Sochi was ultimately going to be replaced by St. Petersburg. That obviously will not happen. The French Grand Prix will not feature on the 23 calendar, although the promoters of the Grand Prix stated they would aim for a rotational race by sharing its slots with other Grand Prix. However, no other Grand Prix have wanted to sign up for such an arrangement because typically if you're going to invest in a circuit, you want to be able to have a race every single calendar year to recover some of that cost. And the Chinese Grand Prix was initially due to be part of the calendar after being uh, after last being held in 2019. Remarkable. Four years since we've been to hmm. China, but it was canceled for the fourth consecutive year to the ongoing difficulties presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was subsequently not replaced due to 
despite the fact that there was a lot of uh, hope that maybe we could have gone to Magello or we could have gone back to Portimao or maybe even Turkey, but we finished with a locked in 23 race calendar. All right, gentlemen. So I think this is pretty good to set up the part of the podcast that most people probably want us to start talking about. And originally I'd built out the next portion of the of the show by talking about the constructors via the sequence that they finished in last year. Let's talk about Red Bull. Let's talk about Ferrari. Let's talk about Mercedes. But I think I think, Tim, you made a really great point that that we should probably talk about it in reverse order because that ultimately helps set up the predictions and also make sure that people are familiar with our thoughts related to some of these teams. So, Tim, I'm going to kick it over to you. And then, Daly, of course, if you have any thoughts, you can add on and build on to that. Of course, if I have any thoughts, I will too. But I think maybe we start with Williams, Tim. This is a team that was purchased by Dalton Capital back in 2020. It, was, it wasn't necessarily clear what their intentions were for the team. They had a shock move recently when Yost Capito was outed, despite the fact that he was, he was framed as being the savior that was going to bring this team back to prominence and success. So there's been a little bit of disruption there. Dalton have been criticized because they haven't invested in this team in a meaningful way. The Grove campus is largely like it was 20 years ago, but they also did do make a driver change. Of course, Canadian driver Nicholas Latifi is out. He lost his seat, replaced by American driver Logan Sargent, who of course last year competed in Formula 2. Tim, your thoughts, expectations for Williams racing in the 2023 calendar year? Mm, I think they're definitely going to make a step. And obviously losing Yost and then bringing in James Valls is a is a pretty big move for a team uh, that has been going through a lot of growing pains and a team that is actually internally pretty divided. Hmm. I don't think Yost really helped a lot in terms of trying to bring this team back uh, together. And that may have been one of the reasons why both sides decided to maybe move on from each other. At the end of the day, I think as a team, more emphasis was spent on off-track marketing um, last season than in the actual car it, itself. The car just it wasn't good. It just wasn't. It wasn't consistent with what it was giving the drivers. Uh, and then the team switched directions with their aero philosophy mid-season, and we saw them leave the zero pod, zero side pod. Um, idea and they went more towards with what Red Bull were doing with their car with Alex Albin showing up at the British Grand Prix with a totally different car and Nicholas Satifi still being stuck with the zero side pod um, car. I mean, you know, those are two big things to have uh, happen to a team and then all of a sudden to just switch that direction. You know, you got to get everybody on board with that. I like the addition of James Val's to this team, uh, Vals was the strategy director at Mercedes and became the full-time team principal with Williams on February 20th. But like I was saying, you know, Vals has worked under Total Wolf for so many years that I think he may be able to stop the divided dividedness that's going on with this team and help sort of bring them back together again, which I think is very important. Um, and Alex Albon, I mean, he's going to have to be 
more of a leader. I think this season he's going to have to be more vocal. Uh, I think he's going to be, have to be a more demanding driver. Um, and I think, you know, obviously he has a ton of talent. There's no question about that. You know, I've seen some of the guy's data. It's, he's absolutely incredible. Um, but I think vocally is probably somewhere he might have to be a little bit more forceful uh, with this team. Having a rookie like Logan Sargent, you know, come onto the scene, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, you're going to be asking a lot from Alex and Logan's going to have to spend a lot of time getting up to speed. It's not easy for a rookie to just come into Formula One anymore. It's just not. I mean, they are only given a day and a half worth of testing. That's not enough. It's not even close to enough. Um, you know, I spoke with Logan a couple days ago and I think his testing program was really solid. He did a, he did a really great job. Uh, and for a rookie to come in and not make mistakes and learn the tires, it's just not easy. I mean, George Russell put it to me this way. He said to me, you take a tennis player like Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer and they're not allowed to hit a tennis ball for 12 months and then you put them into Wimbledon immediately. That's what you're asking of these drivers this season with only one and a half days worth worth of testing. How's Williams going to do this season? It's so hard to tell. I think they still finished 10th in the constructors, but I think they've made a big step. I think that midfield for them is going to be more of a competition than it was last season where it wasn't a competition at all. Daly, your thoughts on on Williams. Of course, this is a team that you and I grew up knowing as being yep. historically great. They were constantly delivering championships. They were incredibly well-loved in that country. And in terms of social relevance, they've completely they've completely vanished from the social broader conversation. What are your thoughts, your expectations, your concerns for Williams heading into the 23 season? Well, my ex- expectations are a lot more than what they've been able to give for the past uh, number of years. So my, my number one um, concern is whether or not, you know, can they build a car that's that that's up to scratch? Are they going to give Alex and Logan a good car to compete with? Or are they going to be struggling at, at the back again? I, I think for a team like Williams, I think this is a pretty strong driver lineup. I, I think that we've seen what, what a good driver Alex Albon could be. And I think that he's at a good place place where you know we're a good team uh, for for this point in his uh, career and i think this is probably a good uh, breakthrough point for logan as well i mean look at what uh, what what george russell did when in that couple of seasons that he was with uh, williams i know that he kind of got that nickname as mr saturday uh, you know because he was always so solid in qualifying so i don't think it's necessarily a bad place for either of them to be it's just disappointingly it's just that they don't seem to have good cars that I mean, they're they're good at certain times and qualifying at certain tracks, but you know who really remembers what you know they did on Saturday compared to to to, to Sunday? But I don't know. I, I'm willing to kind of uh, kind of sit back and wait and see what happens. But like I say, my expectations are are more than what they've been able to deliver, and I don't know if they're going to be able to deliver what uh, you know <laughs> what I think would be passable for a team of their their uh, their heritage let's go with that word let's, i think let's their williams the biggest, heritage the biggest question that i have about williams before we move on to alpha tauri the single biggest question that i have is more off the track that uh dalton 
Capital effectively got this team for a song because, of course, the Williams family were in desperate need of unloading it and needed that injection of financial capital. So Dolson Capital picks it up for a song versus what a Formula team would probably be sold for today. I'm still not convinced that their long-term future desire is to be in Formula One. I had assumed early on, especially with the acquisition of Yas Capito, that they were working to engineer some sort of acquisition with the Volkswagen Group. And of course, that ultimately didn't happen because they engineered a similar deal uh, with the Sauber Group, uh, but I just I'm not convinced that they want to be here long time long term, and I'm not convinced that they're making the investments in the infrastructure that are necessary for them to be successful. I also worry that they haven't been able to attract any major sponsors. Of course, that's a byproduct of not being particularly successful. But I certainly agree with you, both of you that they should make strides this year. But whether they'll be meaningful or whether they'll be able to slide out of that ten slot. I don't know. Tim, moving on to Alpha Tauri, of course, they've added a high-profile rookie this year, a 28-year-old rookie, somebody who, of course, has won a Formula 2 championship and a Formula E championship. What is your thought about this team and their driver lineup of Nick Zavriz and Yuki Sonoda, of course, entering his third year in Formula 1? I mean, look, losing Pierre Gasly is not, you know a good thing, especially not for a team that's finishing ninth in a constructor's standings and especially a team that's got their hands on some pretty good info that's coming from the Red Bull. I'm just not, I'm just not certain that, you know, a driver like Yuki Sonoda, who's entering his third season, I, I just don't, you, he's not going to be able to replace a driver like Pierre Gasly. And I'm not saying that Yuki's not a good driver. He actually is very talented, I think. I think there's some aspects of his driving that he needs to get a better control of. One of those is maybe on the emotional side because obviously being in a race car, racing in Formula One, racing in anything really is a very high-stressed environment and you need to learn how to be flexible when things just aren't going your way. Um that that being said, if Yuki can, you know, pull some things together, he is a very strong driver. The issue with him is he's going to be under an immense amount of pressure. Um, you know, I heard from France France Toast during their car launch. Uh he's made it clear that he expects Yuki to always be aiming for Q3s more points finishes than last season or he's ever done. And that's a lot of pressure on a driver. And you factor in Nick DeVries, who is classified as a rookie, but I don't see him as that. He has a load of experience. Formula E champion, Formula 2 champion. He was a part of the McLaren Young Driver Program. Um... He was a reserve driver for Mercedes, so he does have a lot of experience that he brings to the table. Uh, it would be a concern, I think, if he struggles early on. Honestly, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Um, but I think one of their biggest problems was how they developed and how they executed on getting new components to the car in 2022. And I think that's something that really failed them as, as a team. I think if they can find a way 
of executing on that end. And they're not the only team, you know, there's other ones I'll get into, but they're not the only one who failed on that end. But if they can figure out a way, a better schedule and a better way of executing uh, a well-developed program, I think this team could be pretty good. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be at the sharper end of the midfield because I think they've had such a setback. I think they're going to be still somewhere in the back battling with like Williams. So that being said, it could be a difficult season for this team. But again, you know, looking at testing, how much fuel were they running? How fast can Nick DeVries get up to speed? And can Yuki uh, execute consistently? That's, these are all questions that I have for this team. Daily, your your perspective on this team, of course, they're blessed in a way because they're they're sharing that fantastic Honda power unit that's being produced and shipped over from Japan. And like Tim said, there's this endless data pipeline of telemetry and data that's being fed to them by the parent team. Your your thoughts, expectations for Alpha Tauri this year? Can they improve in that constructors championship with all the with all the benefits that they do have as being a part of that that Red Bull organization? Well, like you guys so correctly point out that uh, they've got a fantastic power unit. Alpha Tauri slash Toro Rosso have proven over the years that they they do know how to design and build a decent car. So my only real questions this year are, are more about the the, the two drivers because I, I can't help but wonder, you know, like like how solid is you know Yuki's position going to be with that 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 team? I mean, granted he's still fairly young, but you know he, he's he's kind of you know he, he's been hot and cold. Let, let, let's be fair. And Nick is not exactly a young driver, and he did really, really impress a lot of people when he filled in for Alex Albon at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix last year. So m- my questions are, are, are more about uh, how the drivers are, are going to do, although I think there were some question marks uh, around the car that they built uh, l- last year. But uh, let, let's be honest. I mean, AlphaTauri isn't a Red Bull, but on occasions they have surprised over the years and, and done some things that nobody ever really expected the, them to do, including winning the occasional Grand Prix. So I wouldn't count them out because on on their day they can they 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 could do it. They they could win races, which is kind of this, uh, surprising, but it's uh, always cool to watch. Our listeners know I am adamantly opposed to the idea of a team like or a company like <laughs> Red Bull owning two teams in a 10-team sport. And I think one of the storylines that I'll be very eager to watch is, again, off the track this year. We had reports coming out of Germany earlier this week, over the weekend, in fact, indicating that Red Bull themselves are looking to potentially divest themselves of, of the AlphaTauri organization or perhaps move it in its operations to the UK, closer to the Milton Keynes base, where of course, Red Bull's based. Uh, but I, I would agree with the assessment that both of you make that Nick is a 20-year-old, 8-year-old driver. I think there'll be significant expectations on him. He's a two-time champion, having won in F2 and having won in Formula E. Of course, he had that positive that positive outing for Williams last year. Although, of course, at Monza, that's a track that certainly seemed to be certainly seemed to be fitting of the aerodynamic package that the Williams was running that weekend. But I, I would hope and I would expect that this team would do better from a, a constructor's perspective than last year. But again, you have a rookie and you also have a now third-year driver in Yuki, who in my opinion, despite being immensely talented, hasn't demonstrated the 
off the track commitment necessary to be a world-class driver. And I think we saw that two years ago in Drive to Survive, where he's a driver that's certainly resistant of the off the track work that's required to be a world-class Formula One driver. And I'm sure the team, I'm sure Red Bull have found ways to make inroads in that space, but I'm still deeply apprehensive about this team's ability to make significant movement in the championship. Tim, I'm going to kick it over to you. Money Graham Haas, a new sponsor, a new livery, and a throwback driver pairing. Kevin Magnuson, of course, is returning <laughs> after he made that triumphant return right before the beginning of the season. And Nico Hulkenberg is back, the gentleman who spent many weekends filling in for drivers who had COVID over the course of the last three years. He has a full-time ride with Money Graham Haas. Gunther Steiner, of course, the star of, of Drive to Survive, <laughs> has made this team famous for reasons that probably shouldn't be. But your thoughts, your, your expectations for Haas, can this be the year where they break through and consistently finish at the front of the midfield? You know, this is a this is a team that, you know, for years has struggled towards the back of the grid. And if you go to 2021, just essentially sacrificing that whole season so they can totally, take, totally. take all of their money and dump it into the 2022 car uh, just so they can have some competitive advantage coming into a new regulation change and having the uh, amount of wind tunnel and CFD design that I'd spoke of earlier, having all of that at their fingertips as well, you know, it really paid off for them. They got off to a great start in 2022. Great start. And then you started to see all of the other teams start to claw back a lot of performance. And you kind of saw Haas go from totally, running at the totally. sharper end of the midfield. They started dragging further back. A big part of that is, like I had said with Alpha Tauri, it's all about that execution on scheduling your upgrades. And for Haas, only having one major upgrade that came out halfway through the season and then not really getting to grips with it at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, they had the success that they had in Brazil, which was an awesome story. That was probably for me, one of the great greatest race weekends of that season. It was incredible. Um, that being said, coming to the U S Grand Prix and signing that big deal with, with money, Graham, you know, Gunther telling me that, Hey, this gets us towards the cost cap in terms of pushing up against it, which is probably the first time he had ever said that, <laughs> you know, during this cost <laughs> cap era. We're in the we're in the right, past. Right. They weren't even they weren't even close. I mean, this was a huge get for them. And seeing what they're doing now at the pit wall, I don't know if you've seen that, but essentially Haas has removed a lot of their pit wall stand where a lot of their electronics and computers sit where the team goes and sits during races or testing or qualifying or practice or whatever. A lot of that has been removed to save money. And that's just a sign that this is a team that's taking this season extremely seriously and if you're doing all of that just to save a quarter of a million dollars so you can put it towards uh, upgrades for your Great race call. car, that tells me this team is not messing around this season. And then you bring in the addition of Nico Hulkenberg, and everyone can say what they want about Nico Hulkenberg. The guy's got a ton of experience. And with this new regulation, this new formula that we're coming into the second year of that, 
is so important to have on your race team is experience. Having a rookie, no matter how good they are, is literally a detriment. And that's going to set you back. So for everyone complaining about, oh, you know, Mick's not there. Mick's not, there's a reason why Mick isn't there. One of it is his experience. The other part of it, a little bit had to do with his management. And basically, that's a big reason why he's not back at this team. This is a good signing. I like the driver pairing, and I think this team is going to be pretty strong by the time we get through like midway through this season. I think this is going to be a good team. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Mark, Tim makes a really great point, and I've been very critical in the past of teams like Williams and Haas for not spending to the cap, that teams like them fought so hard to get a cap and they can't spend to it. You know, now they've got a, a I would say, an authentic, a realistic, uh, a real world sponsor. Of course, Rich Energy is in the distant past. And of course, your colleagues <laughs> in the distant past. But MoneyGram is a real, genuine American-based company that is going to pump capital into this team. Do you see them making meaningful strides this year when you look at their driver lineup? And to Tim's point, that they're doing some very innovative, strategic things to free up capital to invest in, in machinery and parts and materials for the car. You know, yeah, absolutely. When, when I look at this driver pairing, the thing that uh, jumps out at uh, me immediately is that the, these are two drivers that have heaps of uh, Formula One experience, which leads me to believe that uh, Gunther Steiner and his team believe that they have a car that uh, is is should be able to deliver them points. And by putting those ca- those two cars in the hands of two experienced drivers, they feel that that gives them the best opportunity to score more points more regularly, rather than kind of having sort of hemorrhaging these these point scoring opportunities and let them slip through their their, their fingers through different uh, points uh, during the season because uh, another spoiler alert from from DTS season five um, you know Gunther even says that a million dollars for a team like Haas is is a huge amount of money and you know all those uh, you know from, you know when the you get that money the prize money through the constructor standing so that is a real real thing for them so I you know I I would like to hope that that Tim's predictions that you know come sort of midway through the season that this will be like like a very solid uh, team. I, I would like to see it. I, I hope that it comes true. And I, I certainly think that, you know, after what we've seen over the past couple of years, when going from the the all rookie lineup to the the hybrid you know, second year sophomore driver and the experienced Kevin Magnuson, who was kind of brought in at the eleventh hour, to now the you know the the, the veteran 
driver lineup works out for them. I, I hope it does. We'll see. Daily, we'll see. I'm going to stay with you on this next team because I think you and I had extremely high expectations for them in 21 and they disappointed us. We had very high expectations for them in 22 and they disappointed us. But the the chairman, as, as he's often called, Lawrence Stroll, has been incredibly patient with his project in the Aston Martin Ramco Cognizant Mercedes-powered Formula One team. He's invested significant amount of money in the road car division. He's pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into the Formula One team. Of course, they did a big unveiling a couple of weeks ago at their base in, in Silverstone. They made a big shakeup this year. Obviously, Seb announced partway through last season or midway through last season that he was going to depart. He was going to retire. Uh, Lawrence Stroll swooped in and offered Fernando Alonso term and money he could never resist. And now we're going into the season with a Fernando Alonso Lance Stroll lineup. Is this the team that you think? Is this the is this the lineup? Of course, Dan Fellows, Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, Lawrence Stroll. Is this the team led by Mike Crack that could make a significant impact in the constructor standings this year, or is there still work to do in Silverstone? Yeah, you know, I, I sure hope so because you know, like you said, Hammy, both of you and I have been uh, you know really excited to to see this team do something. You know, we we've even gone so far to to say somewhat jokingly that you know this uh, you know this iconic British make you know driving around the Formula One circuits, you know, clad in Canadian racing green, you know, has become kind of like what what of our you know our pet team here on on the podcast. But absolutely, I mean, certainly, I mean, you know, Lawrence has done a lot in terms of investment bringing in a lot of good people and as yet you know it it hasn't quite worked out we've seen some things here and there but you know one thing that kind of like blows me away a little bit is to, to see that fernando obviously still around but you know at, at what what is fernando now 42 43 42. I mean, he doesn't show 40. any sorry yeah i think he's 41 41. I mean, the, I mean, he's still racing at such an incredible, uh, you know, like level. I mean, it, it just, I mean, it is just really, really impressive. And then we were just talking about it on the, the, the pod the other day. Lance already something like 120 something races in his Formula One career. I mean, that, that blows me away. As so a 24 year old, 24 year old, 24 year old. Amazing. Right. So, I mean, compared to like, we were just talking about like five minutes ago about like uh, Alpha Tauri, the question marks that we have about their driver pairing i mean though that's those question marks for me disappear in large part because you got fernando two-time world champions been around the sport for pretty much uh, 20 years now and lance is no pushover himself i mean i know there's uh, been a lot of expectations on lance but i mean he's proven on his day that uh, that he's got the skills and the talents to, to, uh, to get it done and i think ultimately this team will will get it done i think that they're pointed in the right direction i think they took a real big risk that they did last year to kind of go away and you know from the original design concept and sort of mid-season you know introduced the, the the upgrade package that they did that drew a lot of criticisms that you know oh it looks very much like the red bull etc and stuff like that so i think they'll get it right you know i mean lawrence i think he was pretty forthcoming saying that uh, you know we are looking to you know we're, we're not here just to participate we're here to win races and championships but it might take us a little bit of time to to, to get there but i'm hoping this year that you know under 
under the leadership of Mike Crack, who's been in this role for a year now, that we're, we're going to see these these fruits, you know, th- these seeds start to to bear a little bit of fruit because, you know, they've been doing it for a couple of years now, and you know, I, I mean, I don't doubt Lawrence and you know, like his intention. It's just like they'll have the pieces that he's put into place to run this project for him and and bring it to reality. Are they going to be the people to do it? I mean, there's a lot of good people there, but there, there, there's some still some couple le- lingering question marks for me. Tim, I can see you're eager to speak about the AMR23. Of course, this is the first car produced by the Aston Martin Formula One team that has its DNA deeply rooted in both Mike Crack and Dan Fellows. Of course, last year's car was something of a hybrid and had been largely in development before the two of them joined the team. Your thoughts, you've got, I don't want to say connections, but of course, like like Daly said, this is a, a Canadian, I don't want to say Canadian-based team because it's licensed in the UK and is based out of Silverstone, but there's certainly some Canadian genetics here with Lawrence and Lance Stroll. Your impressions of this team and are they ready to make that significant step forward in the constructors that we've been waiting to see for the past couple of years? This is a very crucial season for Aston Martin. Big time. Lawrence Stroll has invested so much time, energy, and money into this team. And for it to not show any signs of improvement would would it would be a disaster. So th- this season for Aston Martin is extremely important. I think going out and having a driver like Fernando Alonso on your team is huge. I am not trying to, you know, say that one is better than the other when I say that Sebastian Vettel has his way of doing things and Fernando Alonso has his way of doing things. For Fernando Alonso, this is a driver who's very demanding and he expects nothing but perfection from everyone who works around him. And if you are not giving him that, then things are going to hit the fan. That is what's going to help raise the bar for this, for this team as well, is having that type of mentality that Alonzo will bring to this team. And trust me, he will bring it. As for the recruiting side of things, so if we look at the engineering side of, of this team, You know, Aston Martin has been aggressively recruiting uh, talent for this team. They've pulled away some huge names from the likes of Red Bull and the likes of Mercedes. Um, You know, Hammy, you mentioned Dan Fallows. So for those who, who don't know, Dan Fallows is one of the key personnel at Red Bull. He was the head of aerodynamics with that team for a number of years. He helped them and engineered those cars to multiple world drivers championships, multiple constructors championships. This guy is a huge talent to have on your team. And then you look at the other side of things. You've got Eric Blandon, who they lured away from Mercedes. Uh, Again, a key individual at Mercedes who you've now got on your team and is now the deputy technical director for Aston Martin, 
Blandin, this guy was responsible for helping this team, Mercedes, win as many constructors titles as they did. You now have two individuals who have a ton of information from Red Bull, a ton of information from Mercedes, and now you're going to marry those two. And if and if this doesn't work, then they are in a lot of trouble. But their fingerprints are all over this AMR 23. It's 95% brand new. They only kept 5% of the older stuff. That's a massive turnaround. And if we've seen what they've done in testing, this car could potentially, and I've got some data, four-tenths off of Red Bull. That is a huge clawback in performance. We're talking seconds. We're not even talking tenths. Seconds. And that's got me fascinated. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, to see some of those times coming out of Bahrain over the past couple of days and to see Max, unsurprisingly, at the top of the time charts, but Fernando pretty close in those other testing sessions. I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to say that, I wouldn't use the, fa- the the word fascinated, but something similar to it. <laughs> you know, it's 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 really exciting to see what to, what what they're doing. But you know, testing is one thing. I mean, it it won't it won't mean anything uh, come next weekend if it was just uh, you know if they won the winter season rather than <laughs> the the, uh, the real Tim, season. Tim, I I preface this next question by reminding everybody at home that I still have a condo on Lance Stroll Island in the Caribbean. That obviously I still have a lot of Lance Stroll stock, and I want need. Ah, really need him to be successful for personal reasons. But what do you anticipate happening? You talk about this being potentially a make or break year for Aston Martin with all the investments and the hiring and the infrastructure improvements. What happens this year if Fernando Alonso performs, scores consistent podiums, is in the top five, six, seven of the driver's championship, and Lance simply doesn't deliver at the same level? Is there a point this year where we could start having uncomfortable conversations and there could be conversations within that team about whether Lance, who is immensely talented, I think we all agree, but could there be a point this year where those conversations need to start happening? I think so. I have a feeling they they probably would. I I you know Lawrence owns the team, right? And they you know they want Lance to be a world champion. And Fernando has even said that Lance could be a world champion. I think having a driver like Fernando Alonso on your team I mean, he has so much experience. You know, like, think about how long he's been in Formula. Dude, I was in Formula Ford and this guy was in F1. Like, that's how long, and that's a long time. We're talking a long time, dude. Like, he has been in there. He has got experience. He's driven everything. And to have that experience under your belt, you can pretty much adapt and get used to anything. I think if, Lance can keep up, keep pace, out qualify, uh, be within a few tenths. You know, that's that's good. If he can beat him, even better. If he can learn from him, even better, right? I think 
for Lance, and I always say this, I think, you know, you don't go and win an F4 championship, karting championship, F4 championship, F3 championship without having talent. Because those championships are so cutthroat. They're the some of the best young drivers in the world you're competing against. And I'm not just saying it's like a handful. I'm talking like 35 deep. Like we're talking deep talent. And that's why I always say if you can give Lance a car that can be competitive, he'll make it fast. If you revert back to 2020, I mean, that car was pretty good. And he ended up putting it on pole in Turkey in the worst weather conditions I've ever seen on a track that was like slick as ice. So (laughs) cool. We've got six teams left to review, and then we're going to quickly bang out our predictions. Uh, I'm going to flip it over to you, Tim, real quick. McLaren F1 team, Lando Norris, rookie Oscar Piastri. If you could sum up, summarize in two minutes your expectations for your, this team, what are you thinking with respect to McLaren, who, of course, disappointed last year by slipping about, back in the constructors? What about Alpha? Alpha, we can't, get, we can't leave out Alpha. We can't do them dirty like that. We got to go Alfa Romeo next, right? If we're going to go Aston Martin, they were seventh. Alfa Romeo, sixth. Oh, so, yeah. Let's do let's do Alfa Romeo my and gosh, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Joe I just I had realized, you. too. I'm looking at this outline. I forgot Alfa Romeo. So let's do Alfa Romeo, <laughs> the Valtteri Bottas-headed Alfa Romeo, which, of course, is going to become Sauber, which, of course, is going to become the Audi Works team. But in its current state, man, of course, the team is in flux. The ownership is slowly changing. They've got long-term designs on becoming a works team. But right now, they are a Ferrari-powered team being led by the second-year young Chinese star, Zhu. And, of course, Valtteri Bottas is back for his second year with this team. I like the driver pairing. Uh, Valtteri, he's incredible. I think he's the right driver to have in your car uh, when making a transition from Alfa Romeo, Sauber, Sauber into Audi. Uh, I think he's definitely one of the guys you want there. Uh, I, I really like Zhou Guan Yu. I really liked what he did last season coming Agreed. in as a rookie. Totally agree. He was really strong and he kept up with Valtteri, who's got so much experience. Uh, and to do that is, is not an easy thing when you're a rookie. Like I was saying, the amount of experience, you know, um, and time in the car that you actually need. He wasn't really getting that. Like he really showed up. It was great. You made a good point with Andreas Seidel leaving McLaren, coming into uh, Alfa Romeo and leading this new Audi works program into, into the team. I So... It's it's in, it's interesting. This team is going to grow, right? And at the moment, it's not a big team. And with growth in a Formula One team, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pain that comes with it. It you know takes you backwards sometimes because of internal restructuring and getting new talent up to speed, figuring out you know where you're going to spend your money, what you're going to spend your money on inside the factory and on the race car. Where do you want those finances? Um, to go, and that's going to be up to, to Andreas Seidel to, uh, to to figure that out. I, I it, it'll be interesting to see um, how uh, Alessandro Luni Bravi does as sort of this hybrid fill-in team principal sort of uh, 
role that he's going to be placed in. You know, he's going to be working alongside Seidel to help oversee the, the business. But Aluni Bravi, however, you know, he'll be he'll be the face. He's going to have to represent this this team on on race weekends. So there is a lot of things happening with this team, and I I. I think this could really affect their on-track performances, and I see this team somewhere somewhere finishing midfield. I know, no, Dan, yeah. please. Yeah, I, I I don't really have anything more to add to other to what uh, Tim said, uh, other than the, the 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 fact the way that I see it this year and going forward, this this weird transitionary uh, transitionary period where they go from one to the other to the other before they'll morph into Audi for twenty six is that I think that because there there is going to be this this, this medium term transition, that I think this is going to be a team that's going to have a bit of an identity crisis. I think it's just going to be natural, and I think because of that, I very much agree with, with Tim. I think. That that it, it is going to affect what they're going to do on the track. I, I don't. I don't want to take away from you know the capabilities or the of, of anybody there either in the car or on the pit wall or back at uh, at the at the team HQ that designed and build the cars. I just think it, it's just going to be a built-in function of what uh, you know this team is going to go through. I mean, ultimately they're going to be you know end up in a really really good place as this Audi Works team. But I, I think there might be some 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 bumps along the way. We've certainly never seen an example where an OEM, a manufacturer comes in and buys a team with the intention of it becoming their works team only for the fruits of that endeavor not to materialize for three or four years. It's a very long, it's a very long runway. And for them to, of course, have to sever at the end of this year, their ties with Alfa Romeo, but continue to run a Ferrari power unit for 24 and 25 to your point, both of you, it's an interesting, uh, interesting scenario. You know, we want to move on because we want to wrap this up because we promised our listeners we would do this under an hour and a half. Um, Tim, I'm no going to flip it over to you. <laughs> McLaren Formula One team, Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri, winter testing did not look great for them. They were very clear to temper expectations during the unveil of their car. Can they improve on last year, or is this gear going to be more of treading water, especially with the acquisition of a rookie driver in place of Daniel Ricciardo? So I spoke with Zach Brown, spoke with Andreas Stella, I spoke with Lando Norris, and I spoke with Oscar Piastri. And to say that their mood was great, I'd be lying, because it wasn't. And for me, that's a telltale sign that things are not good in McLaren land. And I think a big issue with all of this is how they've been able to get this car put out onto the actual track and how their development structure has worked out. I think not having that state-of-the-art simulator that they keep talking about and you know, wanting to get online as fast as they can and a lot of internal um, things happening with this team at the same time has really disrupted the build of this car. Still having some brake issues to start the season off. They've still suffering with some balance problems. You know, their race pace looks good, but their quality pace looks horrible. Where are they going to be at the start of this season? I think they're going to be close to the back. Uh, I think this is going to be a difficult year, uh, at least starting off. 
at least starting off for for Lando Norris. He's going to have to sit there and watch as you know his friends, you know Charles Leclerc, Russell. They go on to get race wins, and he's stuck with a poor McLaren. That's not to say that they're going to be in hot water for the entire season. I do think the beginning of the season will be rough, but I think eventually they'll start to claw back that performance. They do have upgrades coming uh, that are supposedly Mm. pretty big for this car um, before Spain. Uh, and so that's a good sign. And so they, I think they, they know what the issues are and they're just trying to move and, and solve them as fast as possible. Daily, any thoughts of your own on the McLaren project, especially with some of the news that was coming out of the McLaren camp during preseason testing? Yeah, I, I do share some of the same uh, concerns and uh, I just wonder like how, how long is it going to take before they can get the upgrades onto the car and you know how how you know when that uh, that that time comes like like how far into the season is that going to be and to that point how much will have impacted their season because they had a pretty good season in 21 last year i don't think it's unfair to say or or be overly critical that they weren't quite up to the the, the same level as they were the year before i know by and large Lando had a pretty good year and you know <laughs> ricardo struggled for basically the entire year i know that the one bright spot especially over the past 2 years was that uh, unexpected wins at, at Monza in 2021. But this year, you know, Ricardo's gone. He's now gone back to Red Bull as reserve driver, but Lando's still there. After all the, the you know, the, the the saga that was the Oscar Piastri signing, he's there now. I mean, he's a highly touted uh, rookie driver. But I mean, you know, it, it'll be the, the questions around Oscar is, you know, can he get it done in Formula One? I mean, there, there, there's no doubt that this guy's a very, very good race driver is to, that now he's got to do it all over <laughs> and start from scratch and prove it now in Formula One. So I've got a lot of question marks around this team and I would like to see them get it sorted out. I just don't know how long that's going to take them, but I, I fear that, you know, their their struggles might impact their season to quite a large extent. And I think we we might be talking about that when we sit down here in November, December to review the season and say, boy, McLaren figured it out or they didn't. Or if they did, it took them a long time before they got that car to where it needed to be. And and look where look where it left Lando and Oscar at the end of the day. That that That's my concern. Off with them. the track, of course, this team is immensely popular globally and in, in the United States. And they have attracted a host, a host of valuable sponsors. So financially, they're probably in a better position than they have been in many years. But to Tim's point, there's some infrastructure improvements required, including the sim that I feel like we've been talking about forever. Tim, the French auto manufacturer Renault, their works team labeled the BWT Alpine F1 team now has not one, but two French drivers in Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. My questions for you is one, can they retain their place ahead of the customer teams and the constructors champion as they did last year? No customer team finished ahead of them in the constructors championship and Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, do you expect there to be friction or will sparks begin to fly at any point this season between those two drivers whom has been well established? Established don't necessarily love each other. <laughs> I, uh, let's start with the team and then we'll go <laughs> drivers. Uh, I mean, if we look at last season, if they hadn't have had so many power unit issues that they did, who's to say this team doesn't finish third in the constructors? Then? Great call. Great call. Because they were knocking on the door and... 
seeing what both Ocon and Alonso did last season, I mean, there were, you know, there were, I remember in Australia, Alonso, like almost like throwing it on the front row until his car had issues in the second or third last corner or whatever it was, costed him that. But I think if they didn't have so many reliability issues, this is a team we're talking about. It's third in the constructor standings in 2022. And I think Mercedes is fourth. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Honestly. But let's do the math, right? How many PU issues did they have? Multiple. How many back of the grid starts did they have? Tons. Right. So it's right. <laughs> too many. Lane too many. Right. Like, <laughs> I can go on. The fact is, is that this is a team that I think this season could challenge for third in the constructors. I really, really do. I think they're going to be strong. Um, Development-wise, they were very aggressive in the development department uh, last season. That's a huge thanks to Otmar Safnauer and that sort of mentality that that he has. Uh, And that's what pulled them up as high as it did. And I think the same strategy is going to be implemented for this season as well. Uh, internally, they've done a great job of preparing new components quickly and making sure they work because there is there there is another part of this sport that some fans don't know is that these parts get developed, but there's no real science in whether or not they work. Sometimes a, a new component just doesn't work. And you have a big upgrade that's coming to a car and it just doesn't work. For this team, a lot of what they did worked, which is showing me that the behind the scenes talent is quite exceptional. The driver pairing is another question. Yes, you know, Hammy, you did hit on it. Both of these drivers don't necessarily, you know, like each other. But hearing from them during the during the car launch, I have an understanding that they had, they know they have to work together. There's no question about it. I don't think they're going to change the way they race each other, to be perfectly honest with you. I still think Ocon's going to be Ocon, and that's just the way he is, and I respect that. He's a hard, he's a hard racer, man, and I like it. I don't blame him either. Um, this could be challenging for Otmar Safnauer, though. I mean, if we think about it, it's something that he has dealt with in the past with Force India when there was a fallout, huge fallout between uh, Ocon and and Sergio Perez. Uh, And then they had a little bit of a falling out with Alonso and and, and Ocon again in 2022. Um, But I think both of these both of these drivers can coexist within this team uh and i feel like like i said off the top if they can get that reliability under control this is going to be a very strong team i think daily i'm gonna let you take the next team here back in black the mercedes amg protonus f1 team driver pairing of course lewis hamilton who didn't win a race last year for the first time in his career george russell who had a spectacular weekend in brazil taking both the sprint race and the grand prix and a mercedes car that was infinitely improved over what we had seen earlier in that season talk to me a little bit about your expectations for mercedes they finished third in the championship last year although to tim's point it could possibly have been a disappointing fourth of alpine had their had their stuff together a little bit but are you expecting improvement 
improvement this year? Uh, can Lewis break that ugly streak of not having won a Grand Prix last year and uh, nestle a couple more Grand Prix into the record books? Man, rewind to a year ago. Do, do you think we would be sitting here right now having this conversation on these topics? I don't think anyone <laughs> would have thought we would have, but you know, here we are. But I mean, on paper, I mean, the W14, it looks great. I mean, the livery is fantastic, but let, let, let's uh, make no bones about it. They've, they've got a big job uh, ahead of them. You know, the third of the championship last year could have been fourth, as Tim so rightly uh, pointed out. And they, they've gone with the same concept in the car this year with the W14, which is a holdover from last year's W13 with the side podless uh, you know, body and design on that. And they've uh, decided that, well, you know, we're, we're going to go with it for now, but we do have plans for you know, a plan B car if this uh, does not work out. So, you know, they, they obviously think that this is the way forward or it's a bold enough thing that it's, it's, it's worth one final shot. So I, you know, I, I think that uh, they're going to try it, you know, what that's, they, they've obviously got a deadline somewhere that either this is, this is finally working the way that we thought it would, or it wouldn't. And we're going with, with, with plan B. So I think that narrow, the, the, the window is going to be pretty narrow for them to make that call because, you know, if, if uh, we come out at uh, Bahrain and we see say Max win the first couple of races of of the year and Sergio, uh, you know, plays as well, and those or, or vice versa. It, let, let's just say if it's all Red Bull, the first couple of races of the season, you know, they're they're going to want to make that call pretty quick before they start uh, running away with it. Of course, Ferrari's going to want to say something about that, but that's a different story. But I think that uh, they they've got probably the. I'd say the, the the strongest driver pairing between you got like the seven time world champion Lewis Hamilton, the goat. George is obviously an exceptionally talented driver. I mean, he outscored Lewis last year. I mean, he got the only race win for Mercedes last year in Brazil, plus the the sprint race uh, to boot. I think that uh, they're they're the the strongest driver pairing on the grid by far, and uh, they they need you know if, if they get the goods like uh, you know Lewis and uh, and Valtteri and Lewis and uh, Nico Rosberg had for those years. Years. I mean, they, they, you know, it could be a repeat of what we saw last year with Red Bull, which was a repeat of what we saw with Mercedes for all those years prior to 2022. But uh, they, they've definitely got their work uh, cut out for them because I, I struggle to see a future where we sit down this time next year to, to review and preview for 2024 and say, wow, Mercedes, after all those years of dominance, had you know, another offseason in 2023. I just I, at this point, I just I can't compute that in my mind. But, you know, stranger things have uh, have happened in Formula One. But the one thing that we've always seen with the uh, Mercedes in at least in this uh, turbo hybrid era is that whenever they've faced adversity they've come back you know and 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 overcome those problems and they've come back even stronger than before so you know the rest the the other nine teams have been forewarned whether or not they they can they can pull it off at least to start the season it's a question mark but i i would put a put it past Tim, in them. some ways you could argue that mercedes was actually a victim of the cost cap last year that they came into the season and there was some functionally fundamentally wrong things with that car. And I think in the past, you just throw another $50 million at the problem and you resolve the problem. And of course, the timelines might be a little bit exaggerated, but you resolve the problem. And of course, last year they ran out of time and they ran out of money because of the cost cap. Did did Mercedes make the right decision by coming back in 2023 with that zero pod design? Or is that something that's going to be a nagging issue until such time that they have revert course on that design philosophy? 
Yeah, I spoke with Total Wolf about this, and you know, he was pretty adamant that the zero side pad, zero side pod, had no effect on the issues that they were having uh, with their car. One of it being overweight, another part of it being high drag, and another issue of it relating to the downforce of the of the race car itself. It's interesting to see them come back with a similar looking car to that of the the W13. Um, I would have expected them to go in a more RB18 sort of direction, uh, only because if we look at the entire field, it is convergence. So these teams must have looked at what Mercedes were doing and knew right away that, Hey, that may not work, whatever it is or what they're doing there. I mean, all of these teams have uh, very talented engineers and individuals who can look at the car and look at pictures and look at drawings and be like, no, that's not going to do it. What these guys are doing over here. That's, that's more in the direction we need. We need to go. And that's why you've seen so many cars, they all look the same now, right? And look, that McLaren, the MCL 60, it looks like the RB19. And, you know, the, the, the Ferrari and the Aston Martin, they look a little similar too. And like, you're really starting to see everybody start to converge except for um, Mercedes. And it was interesting. I heard from Mike Elliott as well. It kind of sounds like they may be changing up those side pods mid-season. I think there's going to be a big upgrade coming for this car. I have a feeling they're going to get off to a slow start. Um, but I don't see a reason uh, why they can't battle for some wins uh, later this season. Do I see them coming straight out of the blocks and you know fighting with Red Bull and Ferrari? No. I mean, at the end of... I mean, at the end of... Let's... At the end of testing, I would say Mercedes is still probably three to four tenths away from from Red Bull. Uh, Granted, that's like way closer than where they started last season, like way closer. Still, it's a bit of a gap they're going to need to really uh, cut into with a bigger upgrade. Tim, I'm going to skip ahead now to Scuderia Ferrari. I'm going to let you run solo on this one because I think if I think if listeners listen to this podcast, they're probably sick and tired of Daily Eye talking about the quote-unquote horror <laughs> season that Ferrari suffered through in 2022. Reliability issues, they had to turn down the power unit, driver error, strategy errors. They made a big change at the top. And like you and I talked about in late November when we did yeah, that emergency huge. pod when Matteo Bonato jumped before he yeah. was before he was pushed. They made a change at the top. They've recently made some changes with strategy. They promised that they've made some significant reliability improvements with the power unit so they don't have to run it turned down so much but if mercedes isn't going to be the team that contends with red bull for constructors and a driver's title this year will it be will it be ferrari with the sf23 i i think here's we'll start at the beginning i mean you made a made a good point with the turnover at the top and you know we'll we'll start there because i think that's important you know gone 
is Mattia Bonotto, who is more of a technical team principal, if you will. You know, Frederick Vasseur coming in from Alfa Romeo, you're getting something different. This guy's a, you know, he's a he's a racer, right? This guy does things on gut instinct. And I think you're probably going to see a more decisive team when it comes to strategy. Uh, Obviously gone now is Inaki Rueda, who was doing a lot of their strategy last season. And I don't mean by like, he's, he's gone, gone. He's just been moved into a bit of a different role than what he had for the past um, few seasons. And I, that's Frederick Vasseur coming in and sort of putting his stamp on this team and um, taking it in, in that direction, if you will. Made another good point with the power unit. Uh, heard from Vasseur as well. Seems to feel that they've gotten their reliability issues under control. I mean, last season, yeah, turning down the power unit midway through the season just so they can stop getting grid penalties from engines blowing up. I mean, that's huge, right? They've said they've got back about 20 horsepower. That's about two to three tenths. Looking at them in preseason testing, the car's fast in a straight line, but it does struggle in the corners. So where you have Red Bull that has so many points of downforce on the rear, which is so important now, the driver's able to obviously get back to power and get out of the corner better and just more grip, where Ferrari just struggles a little bit. I think a positive thing for the drivers is obviously having a driver like Charles Leclerc, who is ultra-talented, there's going to be expectations on his shoulders. And Carlos Sainz, hearing from, from Carlos and... You know, it's interesting, I... He said to us, um, the car didn't feel that different from last season's car. And so if you look at where Carlos started last season, it was a struggle, right, guys? Remember we were on the pod, like, oh, talking yeah. about oh, yeah. three races. Yeah. He had only completed, like, what was it? It was like seven yeah. laps yeah, yeah. or I something specifically remember like that. that. And that was an incredibly massive stat where you're just like he did what and he's in a ferrari and like oh my god this guy and eventually kind of gets to grips with this car and he starts competing and he starts getting he got his first win right got out of silverstone and then he starts competing with 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 charles a little bit more which is what the team wants now you have frederick vassour who has a close relationship with charles leclerc he doesn't necessarily have a close relationship with Carlos Sainz, but he did try to get Carlos Sainz onto his teams in the past, like Renault. And then you mix in that, hey, this guy is a racer into the conversation. You're going to see decisive action in who's going to be the number one driver and who's going to be the number two driver. And who is going to be given preferential treatment and when is that going to happen? Because with this guy, it is going to happen with Mattia Bonotto. It didn't, right? It just did not happen. There was no, Hey, you're now number one. You're now number two. That's the way it's going to be. If you mess up, we'll switch them around, but that's how it is. 
with 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 Vasur coming in, that's what you're getting. This guy isn't going to mess around. And for Carlos Sainz hearing him say, hey, this thing handles a lot like last season, that's a good sign for him. That's a good sign that shows that shows you that he's not going to have a slow start to the season. I always like Carlos Sainz. I thought he's, he, I think he's super talented driver. I think he is as good as Charles Leclerc. And I'm probably going to catch a lot of hell for that. <laughs> but honestly, I really think like after, after everything I've seen from Carlos for as long as I've known him from every different formula I've watched him race in, this guy is good. He is good. He's a very good driver. And once he gets that, the mental sort of aspect of it, which I have a feeling he has, you know, I think we're going to see some stuff from Tim. Him. We have three minutes left before we bang out some quick predictions. I'm going to kick it over to you. Good Oracle, luck with that. Oracle Red Bull <laughs> racing. The Honda badges are back. They're returning the driver lineup of Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen, of course, coming off for a driver's title. The team coming off its first constructor's title since 2013. Should we expect any surprises here, or is it going to be continued dominance like we saw last year? Yeah. So I've heard. So, I mean, obviously the car, they, they leave 2022 with a huge advantage. They're coming into 2023, in my opinion, again, from what I've seen, with a huge advantage. I've heard that they'll be, they're, they're coming in with this brand new lightweight chassis. They had it last season. They never ended up running it. And now they've perfected it and it's on the car. All the other teams are really up against it in terms of the weight limit and getting to it. Red Bull's like, hey, no problem. That's huge because then you can put ballast in the car. You can put it in different areas. It's going to help you with traction. It's going to help you under certain braking uh, situations or acceleration situations. And then on top of that, you've got a reserve driver in Daniel Ricciardo who has a wealth of experience. So obviously for this team, priority is going to be getting Max Verstappen his third driver's championship. The question will be, is will Sergio Perez be in this car at the end of the season, or is it going to be Daniel Ricciardo? Wow, wow you because, went there. Well, take yeah. a look at it, man. <laughs> I'm glad. Like, if you're Thank Sergio you. Perez, you're like you're not driving a car that's made for you. You're driving a car that's like, let's be honest here, guys. It's made for Max, right? Yep. yep. Let's just hundred percent what it is. It's just the way it is. Sergio's got a particular driving style, so does Max, and they don't really align. There's a lot of drivers who tried to go up against Max in cars that were built for Max, and they didn't survive. They got moved or they got booted out of the team. So for Sergio, this is a big season. He's going to be under pressure, and you have to wonder if this guy struggles in the first three, four months. You have to think, when is Christian Horner going to think about swapping these guys out, swapping Perez out, putting Daniel Ricardo in and, and what's going to happen then, you know, these are, these are, I think that team's questions or, or issues, what, what they'll be. I mean, if we look at combined, you know, overall analysts from Bahrain preseason testing, and I've been able to get a look at it, it's it's Red Bull is, is ahead. They're ahead in qualifying simulation pace and they're ahead in race simulation pace. For qualifying, Mercedes is was second. They're they're two tenths, two, they're almost three tenths back 
of Red Bull and qualifying simulation pace. Granted, I know it's preseason testing. I know the, the you know the tanks aren't emptied, but they had a flawless test. The car looks incredible. Ferraris again, they're like three tenths back in qualifying pace, but their race pace actually looks better. So that leads me to believe for Ferrari, you know, in the winter they've put more focus on Sunday races instead of having a fast one lap car, which they had last season and then coming into the race and the car just eating the tires after a few laps, Ferrari, it's going to be a little bit different for them. It's going to be, the car is going to be okay over a one lap, but in a race, it should have the performance to be able to at least keep up a bit. But, you know, having a look at some of this data that I got to take a peek at, I mean, Red Bull looks absolutely incredible. Daily, do you have a last word on Red Bull before we kick it over to the predictions? No, I, I think that Tim nailed it. I mean, it's the team that's dominated last year that was also pretty solid in in 21. And there, there's been less changes there than anywhere else. There's been less drama there than anywhere else. So, I mean, apart from that really juicy Perez-Ricardo discussion that uh, that Tim kicked off there, I, I, I expect to see uh, more of the same. I think that uh, they're the team to catch for, uh, for 2023. And the big question is uh, going into Bahrain next weekend, are Mercedes and are Ferrari fast enough and are they going to be reliable enough to you know, to do the job? I mean, if the question is yes, or the answer to that question is yes, then game on. This is going to be a great season. But if there's still that that you know a, a rather large delta between Red Bull and everyone else, then uh, you know it could just be a continuation of where the last season ended. I think up. that's the perfect segue to the first prediction that I'm going to ask for both of you, and I'm going to go first here. The first the first category is constructors championship, and I think based on everything that we know, everything that we've seen in which testing and everything that we saw from last year. I think logically Red Bull will be the constructors championship this year. Daily, what do you think? You're the same. Tim, Agreed. what about you? Constructors yep. championship. Yep. Well, World Driver yep. Championship for me, it's it's Max Verstappen. Again, for all the reasons we just talked about, the package, the car, or the power unit, he is just in psychologically, mentally, he is dialed in and he's demonstrating a degree of maturity that I don't think any of us expected to have seen coming out of 2021. Last year, he was laser focused. Mark, Tim, any disagreement on Max Verstappen as the driver's title? No, but I, I I want to throw Charles Leclerc a little bit of a respect okay. here as maybe a, a, a like a dark horse uh, because I think uh, you know Tim addressed it really nice when he was talking about Ferrari. You got Fred Vasseur there, okay? He didn't get there in time to have a real influence on the design of the car, but like a lot of the things that the drivers have been saying that this car feels a lot like last year's, and we know that was a very good car. So what uh, he can do in the short time that he's been there is focus on the nuts and bolts things, like what can we do now to increase reliability? What other things? that can I do? I think that he's going to tap Charles Leclerc on the shoulder to be the number one driver. I think he's going to get that number one uh, driver uh, treatment. And I think that if uh, Charles has that, that just mentally he's going to be in Great a call. completely different headspace that he's Great been call. at the last couple of years under uh, Mattia Bonotto's stewardship of the team. And I think that uh, if, if he's got that, we'll see his confidence go to new levels, especially if this car is uh, you know anywhere is competitive or lines up competitively with the, with the, uh, the RB. The next category is Rookie of the Year, of course. We have three rookies this year, Oscar, Nick, and of course, Logan. Now, the challenge is they are all in very, very different situations, and I don't think it's fair to measure them based on the points that they score over the course of a championship. But uh, Daly, I'll start with you. Of those three rookies and considering the unique situations that they're in, which do you expect to impress the most in the 2023 championship? 
I think Nick DeFries, just because, yeah, you know, of his age, I mean, he's almost kind of like plug and play. I mean, he's he's a, a driver that's got a proven track record in other series. I mean, uh, Logan and, and Oscar, no disrespect to intended, but, you know, they're much younger. They're still learning their, their craft to a certain extent. I, I think that Nick being 28 years old, I mean, he's almost like a mid-career. Four years older Formula than Lance driver, Stroll. Four so. years older yeah. than Lance Stroll. It's incredible. I know. I know. So, so I mean, other things could happen, but uh, I would be very surprised if it wasn't, uh, you know, if we, we reviewed at the end of the year and, um, you know, Nick doesn't turn out to be our Tim, rookie of the year. Tim, your thoughts on rookie of the year? Yep, agreed. Yeah, I think uh, Daly said it, said it well. Wild card predictions, and I threw this in as a wild card category, but any <laughs> wild outlandish predictions that you have uh-huh. for, for this oh, championship? I- Daly, you're smiling ear to ear. What are you thinking? I- well, I've been I've been looking at that one as we've been going down the list and kind of like letting this one kind of like marinate over the la- the, the last thirty minutes or so. Okay, so I I don't think that uh, you know it's it's any. I think we're all in agreement that the top three are going to be Red Bull, uh, Ferrari, and Mercedes in, in some form. I think where it gets interesting is I think um, for for me that for for the wild card I I want to see like a, a real heavyweight battle between uh, Alpine and Aston Martin like for that ah, sort of that fourth place in the. <laughs> championship I, I yeah i want to see those two go back at it all i don't think that uh, mclaren's going to be there you know right off of the bat but i'm really hoping to see that uh, you know alpine and aston martin trade punches all season long because i think that could be a that fun was going one to be mine that those two are going to battle right till the end of the season for p4 in the constructors championship i also think that fernando will score a podium this year i don't know that he's going to score a race win of course he hasn't since the v8 era in 2013 Tim, final word before we wrap this uh, beast of a podcast up. Any wild card predictions for 2023? Uh, I think Fernando Alonso gets a win this season. I love it. I love it. I like it. I like it. I like it. But it's like not a legit win. (laughs) Like like it's like chaos happens off the the start. And Alonso just comes through. He's like, I thank you. It. I love it. But that, that's what, he, as a seasoned veteran driver with that immense skill set, he can take advantage of opportunities like that. Uh, yeah. Tim, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you know me, you know Daily. Tim, where can people find your work? Where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, at uh, at Tim Haraney on all forms of, of social media. That's where you can... Get me F1 Insider for uh, for TSN Sports Center here in Canada. I got some pretty cool stuff coming out in the next week or so. So uh, yeah, head on over to at Tim Harini. If that's not a great follow. tease Thanks. to link up with you on social media, I don't know what is. If you enjoy, if you enjoy <laughs> what Daily and I do, of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. If you like what we do, give us a rating on Spotify. It means the world to both of us. And if you listen on Apple, uh, give us a rating and a review. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our 2023 season preview. We'll be back in a couple of days to recap Drive to Survive with Seth Whiteberg. And of course, we'll be back on Friday for our first season pre or first race preview of this championship. Thanks again. Speak to y'all soon. Bye for now. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.